Welcome to Center Ice, the Hockey Alberta podcast, home to all things hockey in our great province. Now, here's your host, Ted Emmett. Hello and welcome back to the Center Ice podcast. I'm your host, Ted Emmett. Happy to be with you once again for episode 13. And you know, it it seems like every time I open up an episode, there's always some sort of bad news or new rules or something of the sort that I have to lead off with. But this time I get to be, at the very least, cautiously optimistic. We're into phase two in Alberta. Things are starting to open up again and knock on wood, uh, moving in the right direction. So we're into June now. Things are heating up outside and we're heading into what's being billed as the best summer ever in Alberta, uh, which is great. We're crushing it. June, though, is also an important time for a couple of reasons. Not only is it Pride Month, but it's also National Indigenous History Month. Uh, and we've been celebrating both here at Hockey Alberta all month and are going to continue to do so with this episode. Uh, it not only features a pair of outstanding guests, but another center ice debut as well by a Hockey Alberta employee. I, I thought my job here as host was safe for a while. Or I didn't, then I did. Uh, maybe it's not. Maybe I need to start stepping it up because we had a, another great debut by our own Kevin Strybosch. He sat down with Glenn Whitman, the co-founder of the You Can Play Project, which works to ensure the safety and inclusion for all who participate in sports, including the LGBTQ plus athletes, coaches, and fans. Uh, and we heard about this from Brian Burke a few episodes back. So it's great to revisit this. It's a really great interview there and some powerful words and stories from Glenn that really show the importance of organizations like You Can Play. I also had the pleasure of chatting with a Canada Winter Games and Memorial Cup champion in Wacy Rabbit, who's currently playing in the East Coast Hockey League down in Florida. Uh, he took the time to chat with us. As a member of the Kainai First Nation, or otherwise known as Blood Tribe, Wacy has been and continues to be a huge role model for Indigenous athletes, and honestly, I think his passion for the game is maybe unmatched, uh, which would you'll see in the interview so another great one there that i can't wait for you to hear but first without further ado we will go to our first guest a little bit of a disclaimer here because there there is a little bit of graphic language in this one in a story from glenn which is a first for us but we felt it was important to leave it in it is bleeped but you're gonna know what he's saying but it's an important part of glenn's story so just a fair warning there and kevin strybosch take it away Joining us now is Glenn Whitman. Uh, he's one of the founders and current board members of the You Can Play Project, uh, which works to ensure the safety and inclusion uh, for all who participate in sports, including LGBTQ athletes, coaches, and fans. So Glenn, we really appreciate you taking some time to join us today. First off, are you able to just give us a quick introduction uh, of yourself and your role with You Can Play? Sure. Um, I am originally from Philadelphia. I grew up playing sports. I grew up watching sports as well, going to a lot of Flyers games and uh, all the other teams in that town. But I also um, started playing hockey when I was at a young age. And through the years, you know, I'm a pretty big guy, but, you know, um, and I was never bullied, but it was maybe like the homophobic slurs that I experienced that really, you know, kept me from coming out to friends and my family. And I pretty much had to lie to them, you know, for, for years of my life, which is not healthy for you. And it's not great as an athlete when you can't tell your best friends that, you know, you're gay and you're having these feelings and you have to, you have to hide that. So, you know, you can play for me was something that um, when I met Patrick Burke, uh, who's also a co-founder and Brian Kitts and Patrick um, said to me over some beers, which hockey guys do. He's like, Glenn, you know, I, I think I could get one player from every NHL team to say, if you can play, you can play. You know, it doesn't matter about your sexuality. You know, just be a good teammate. And I'm like, Patrick, man, let's let's try to make that happen. And obviously, you know, we're coming up on our 10-year anniversary, which is unbelievable. And uh, the fans hopefully know about uh, how You Can Play got started with Brendan Burke and how he came out uh, and it was very big news and then got into a car accident and died. And that's Patrick, his brother. That's how this all got started. Uh, Patrick came to Denver to do a, an event we were doing, speaking to the University of Denver hockey team and many athletes at that school. And Patrick, we had a panel of three gay athletes. He was the moderator and he, he, he did great work. And so, you know, the Burke family is, you know, trying to continue what Brendan started. You can play is, um, you know, 
from that. And, and that's what we do. We every day we're, we're out there, you know, trying to make sure that all athletes are judged, you know, based on their heart, their talents, their character, you know, not their sexual orientation, not their not their gender identity. You know, just just be a good teammate. And we want you on the team. And that's not just a teammate, too. Right. It's it's the fans. You know, be a good fan. Be you know, maybe it's someone in the front office. It's it's all of them. Yeah, that that's uh, excellent. And you mentioned you're coming up on your almost your 10 year anniversary here. So you've been around since uh, 2012 um, and you've had a huge impact on hockey and, and other sports as well. And you kind of already got into this a little bit, but just how did how did it all get started and, and what's the main goal? Yeah, I jumped the gun a little. I did uh, talk about that. <laughs> uh, well, it all got started really when Patrick came to Denver and met Brian Kitts and I and over some beers. This is when Patrick said, you know, uh, I want to continue what Brendan had started. And I really feel, you know, Brendan Burke stopped playing hockey as a senior in high school. And the Burke family didn't know why. They're like, you know, the dad, uh, Brian Burke, right? He's the president of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, Patrick at the time was uh, a scout for the Flyers. And they couldn't understand why their son just quit playing hockey. Like if anyone could feel safe in a locker room, it was probably Brendan Burke. But he didn't feel safe. And you know, the family found that out a few years later when he came out to them and then it became national news. And then he got into a car accident, a horrible car accident, and he passed. And so, you know, with the Burke family and the, the structure that we've put in place with You Can Play, I mean, we really are making a difference. And uh, it's exciting because I wish there was a you can play around when I was younger. And so maybe I would have come out sooner and, you know, maybe I would have been a better athlete. Maybe I would have made it to the NHL. Probably not. But there's a lot of LGBTQ plus athletes, Kevin, that quit playing sports because like Brendan, um, because they don't feel comfortable in the locker room. And that's what you can play is about. We want them to feel comfortable. They may not need to come out, you know, right away. You know, they come out when they feel comfortable, let people know that they may be gay, lesbian, bi, transgender, whatever it may be. Uh, but at least we want to uh, provide a, a safe environment for them not to feel like they have to quit. And that's also for like fans to come to games. Like we want fans to be able to feel safe in that environment. And in front offices and just work in sport and not feel like they have to not be involved at all. Because um, I feel, and I think you look like you're an athlete. I do play hockey too, or sports. Right. You know, playing sports is so much fun. You're out there with your friends. It's like teamwork. You're sweating. It's, it's healthy for you and it keeps you in shape. And we want LGBTQ plus athletes to get back out there playing. I mean, there are stats out there that really show, I mean, we're not looking at any charts here, but it's significant. The amount of straight athletes and gay athletes, and then even get into transgender athletes that just stop playing. And it's a shame. No, absolutely. I, uh, sports have been a huge impact on my life. And, you know, I, I can't imagine where I would be if I had, you know, quit at a young age because, you know, I was bullied or because I just didn't want to play anymore because I w- wasn't accepted, you know? So yeah. um, it's really unfortunate that uh, we see dropout rates like that. And specifically within the hockey community, we've seen some past issues of homophobia and a lack of acceptance of LGBTQ plus athletes. So I'm wondering what barriers are currently in place uh, in hockey and the sporting world that are holding us back from where we need to be? I mean, look, that's a tough question, but a lot of it's uh, cultural and it starts in the family at maybe, um, you know, a younger age, depending on how, you know, the kids are brought up. Uh, Some kids are brought up in a more open family and more accepting family. Other people have certain views. And I would say that You Can Play is not out to change anybody's view on anything. We just want to you know, ask those you know, people who, who have those views to say, hey, you know, give everybody a chance. Let us be a good teammate. You know, let us let us play. You know, like if you can play, you can play. Uh, you know, it shouldn't matter you know, who you are. And so I, I really think that, that that's one of the things we're up against as a barrier is, is getting some training going. And that's what we're doing. We're getting out there. We're talking to teams. We're getting in locker rooms. Uh, we're actually, because of COVID, we had to let go of some staff and we had to trim down a little. We're starting to come out of that now and we're doing some hiring. But 
we've taken a look at our programs. It's like, all right, how do we reach these, you know, cities across the globe that are, you know, you might be near a bigger city, you might be out in farmland, you know, you might, wherever you are, how do you get this message? And, you know, through like a Zoom call like this and some great, you know, we're putting together some great marketing and and programming where we're going to have interviews like me or different athletes talking about this. So hopefully we can reach more people because I think it seems to be getting better out there, but there's still plenty of homophobia going on. Yeah. Sorry, that leads uh, really well into my next question, actually, is just with all the work that the organization has done, how much progress do you think has uh, has been made on the issue of LGBTQ plus athlete acceptance? So I'm just writing that down, progress, because I start talking and I lose my train of thought. You know, I think you can see progress uh, in a couple areas. Um, one, specifically, is just with the National Hockey League. 10 years ago, guess how many Pride Night You Can Play nights there were? Zero. You Can Play, right. You Can Play comes on the scene with our great video uh, that HBO produced and all of the uh, NHL All-Stars you know, were in, which was a great video called Face Off. It's still on YouTube if you want to go check it out or haven't seen it. But uh, I think, oh, so yeah, so we, we had our first You Can Play night in Florida that year. And then now last year before COVID, all 32 teams did a You Can Play night or Pride night of some sort. I mean, that's a lot of progress, right? There, I think, uh, you know, and that's like amplifying our message. You know, we can be going into schools and doing Zoom calls like this. And look, the message gets out there. But when you have professional athletes amplifying our message of acceptance, you know, that's that's impactful right there. That's unbelievable, really. Another progress that I've seen is there is a website called nohomophobes.com. I don't know if you've seen that or not. Uh, University of Calgary, actually, in conjunction with You Can Play, put this together. You can go to it. It's uh nohomophobes.com. Very cool website. If you're looking, it looks at uh, Twitter and uh, four derogatory terms. And if you look back to when this got started, I don't know how many years ago it was. I think it, it, it was not 10, but whatever, eight years ago, just say. You can go look and see the, the first when it first got started. You'll see that the homophobic language was like way, way, way up here. And this is on Twitter, right? And it's live streaming on there so you can see the word being used. But as the years have gone on, you can see like even like this year, it's like down here. It still gets used. And then when, you know, when an event happens, like someone comes out or I don't know, some weird event happens, it has, you know, that has to be whatever it may be. Uh, you see it spike and then you see all the derogatory terms at the bottom. But anyway, I, I think that shows some progress. You know, other than that, it's really hard to gauge. Uh, and, and you do see more and more people or, or younger athletes, you know, coming out, you know, maybe that's, a, that's saying that it's getting better. Uh, if you talk to people in some high schools, they say it's getting better, but I mean, it's still tough. We, we know it's still going on and, you know, you can play as much as we want to say that the work we do, you know, when it's, when the work is over, we're not going to exist. I mean, that we're a long way away from something like that. Yeah, absolutely. Kind of, we talked about some stats earlier. Uh, So when I was doing some research for the interview, I I found this stat that I found I thought was very interesting uh, from your website, and it says that only 24% of LGBTQ plus athletes played a school sport, compared to 68% of all youth. Uh, So what steps can be taken at the grassroots level to enhance uh, inclusivity? You know, I think for grassroots level, we're talking, I know you, uh, Hockey Alberta has a ton of teams. And and so maybe it's it's some of the training for, you know, before each, like in the NHL, there's training for like rookies and players before each season gets started. Maybe there's some training that needs to happen. Maybe we can work together and do something because I don't think we kind of have that yet where it's like, okay, look, you're going to play hockey and that's great, but here's some ground rules. So it starts with coaches. It starts with the captains kind of leading the way. And I think if we can get more involved in, uh, you know, youth sports, uh, and and coaches and captains start you know saying hey listen we're not going to accept this kind of language along with everything else that they may talk about um, you know for a team to kind of come together and get the best out of all their athletes 
Uh, I think that's one one thing that I think you can play should concentrate on. We we do it on a micro level, but not on a macro level. Like people will call us and say, "Hey, we have a problem on the team. Can you come speak to us?" And and we do that. Uh, but maybe with some of the the new materials that we're doing, it will be a lot easier. We won't have to send someone. We can have a you know a great video that's kind of fun for the kids to watch, but also they learn from. So I think something like that would be really helpful. You know, and not just. On, on hockey teams, but in schools, uh, we have some programming at the lower level. A lot of our programming has been uh, for pro, you know, in pro sports, you know, at the college level, a little bit of high school and, and not much middle school. And I think that needs to change. And I think we have acknowledged that as a organization. And I think we're, you're going to see a lot from us. Like our first 10 years were great, but I think we're kind of recalibrating and going to come back for the next 10 years and really try to try to help more. There's a statement that I've heard, and I've heard it in context of female hockey and and trying to grow the female game. And it's, if she can see it, she can be it. And that's in regards to having female role models within the game uh, to help influence younger girls to start playing. And I, I feel right. like it applies to LGBTQ athletes as well. So how important is it to have brand partners and ambassadors within the game to spread awareness? I mean, that's like the bread and butter of you can play. I mean, you got to have ambassadors and people that understand our mission that are out there trying to help us spread the word. I mean, we can't do it ourselves. We have, I think we have like six board members and, you know, we all have full-time jobs, and but we all do interviews like this and are out there doing as much as we can. At this point, we have a couple staff members and, you know, we had more, but we had to pare it back. So, but we do have a lot of ambassadors around Canada and the U.S. that um, we do some trainings with, uh, and then they go out and kind of do their own event uh, where they'll raise money and and, uh, and and talk about you can play in the mission. So I think, um, you know, on, on that level, it's really important. And then the ambassadors in, say, in pro sports like the NHL, um, for a while there, each NHL team had a you can play ambassador. So how cool is that? They, they spoke on our behalf and again, amplifying the message. So, you know, look, I think it's a combination of, of pro athletes, of ambassadors at the, the grassroots level in, in, in small cities or uh, towns to, to really help get the message out. And if anyone out there is listening and wants to do an event, please send me an email. I'll connect you with uh, Kurt Weaver, who is our director of programming, and he'll probably do a training with you, talk about what you want to do and, and help you accomplish that. So, we, we can easily, you know, we want that and we, we need that to tell you the truth. For sure. Yeah. We'll make sure uh, we include your information and, and some more information for yeah, all the please. listeners if, if they want to get involved uh, afterwards. But uh, with, with June being Pride Month, does You Can Play have any events or promotions uh, planned throughout the month? You know, normally I would say we have a ton, um, but with COVID, it's it's been pared back a bit. Um, I'm not sure exactly what's going on with all of the teams. Some teams want to do, you know, if there's parades allowed, they want to be in that in the U.S. I know in Colorado, we just talked with the Avalanche, which is really cool. And throughout the whole month of June, hopefully they keep playing. Uh, they are going to play some kind of a video or, you know, LGBTQ plus um, something on, on their projector. And they're going to do that throughout the month. Instead of just doing like a one-off night, they're going to do, they're going to do like a little bit each night, which is nice. Uh, we, we're not having a parade this year in Denver. So we're, we're trying to get creative. Um, also, they've asked us, they said they wanted to host a couple uh, watch parties. So we're going to do uh, a couple LGBTQ plus watch parties. There's a new sports bar in Denver called Tight End. I've only been there once. I know it's a funny name. You can laugh. But um, uh, so anyway, that should be exciting. Uh, so we're going to host a couple parties. And I think we're going to do a picnic with the LGBTQ community and invite everybody. So the abs, which is, you know, look, this all... 10 years ago, when this started little by little, teams would you know, say, yeah, I want to do a pride night. And it would be like a one night thing that they would do you know, throughout a whole year. Then we're like, well, hey, why don't you get a little more involved in the community? And some teams like felt like they weren't being authentic and said to us, hey, we want to get involved. How do we, what do we do? And so we kind of consult with these teams and, you know, with the avalanche, they started doing the, the pride parade, I think like maybe six years ago. And, and now we're doing more events throughout the year. Like I'm talking about like the picnic now and a couple watch parties. So, uh, you know, I think the community really loves it as well. They're, 
it's nice when a team isn't just doing a one-off like a pride night and then, you know, they're getting more involved. It kind of, it shows they really care. And I think they do, they really do care. Yeah. I think that goes back to the, to the question about progress as well, that, you know, not only are teams getting involved, um, by hosting a pride night, but they want to stay involved. And I think that's a, a big key to, you know, sustaining yeah. all of this. So, yeah, it's um, so funny. Um, on the first, which was yesterday, uh, the abs put out a, on like Twitter, they like a happy pride and they're like, we support you. And they put an abs rainbow, you know, logo. And I reposted it on my Facebook. And then I was just checking it out. Like earlier this morning, there's probably 400 responses and about 25% of those responses are like avalanche, you know, stick to hockey. They, you know, you know, it's just negative stuff like that. And then the other part, 75%, which is a huge number is like, thank you. We, you know, thank you for supporting our community. And so, you know, I think you're always going to have that. And, but I really do think it, it, it helps the team show their support by doing something, even it's a small little gesture like that. And it could save someone's life. Every little thing that they do could save someone's life. And people don't realize that. And, and that's why, that's why I stay involved with you can play. It's a lot of work. I don't get paid for it, but after I do an event or the letters that come in and then people are like thanking me and the organization for existing and they, we save the lives of them. We save the lives of their kid. That's what keeps me going, Kevin. I mean, I'm telling you, it's so heartwarming to see that. And that's, when we started, you can play. Even Patrick says, if we can save one life, he'd be happy. And we've saved thousands. So, and we want to keep it going now. We, you know, just, we, we want to stick to our mission and we want to make sports safer for everybody. Yeah, that, that's excellent. I, I think that uh, really sums up, you know, why the organization has been successful just with the passion behind it and yeah. the mission that they want to achieve. Right. So um, my last question for you here is just how can people get involved with you can play and what is the best way to find out more information on the topic? I mean, look, the best way is to go to our website. Uh, we have a lot of information there. We have a lot of videos from NHL players, maybe one of your favorites and, you know, check it out, learn about us. And if you do want to get involved, if you want to host an event, if you want to go to an event, uh, if you're having a problem on your team, if you have a problem at school and you want someone to come speak there, you know, let us know. We'll do what we can. We have, um, you can play ambassadors. We call them regional board members uh, throughout uh, Alberta, um, several in Edmonton and Calgary. Uh, but we can, you know, maybe we do a Zoom call if we need to. So it's all about reaching out to us and, and letting us know if you have a problem. Uh, if you want to donate, there's a donate button. We can always use funds. Uh, as I said, we had a, a tough year <laughs> being able to do pride nights and, and raise money. And look, a lot of nonprofits have had trouble. So hey, if you can donate, great. We, we really appreciate that. Uh, I think one other key thing is um, if you're not LGBTQ, but maybe you have a friend who is uh, or a family member, uh, one important thing that you can do is to be what we call uh, an active ally. So if you're on a team or you're in the stands uh, or wherever you may be and you hear someone use a slur, you know, it would be great if you could say to that person, hey, you know, I really don't appreciate that language. You know, we got kids around here, whatever it may be, you know, please, you know, use a different word. And, you know, look, I, I've had to do this. It's not very easy to do, but I say this to people and I've done it in different ways. Some I've said right when they've said it. Other times I've had to maybe give it some time off because I didn't want to get in a fight or, or um, you know, have it come out wrong. And maybe like one of my teammates, uh, here's a quick story, Kevin. Sorry, I got to share. I'm in the locker room last year and um, it's a drop in hockey at noon. I play nooners a couple times a week. And so I'm getting ready. And I'm like, I'm putting on my helmet. I'm about to go out. And this younger kid, I think he was in high school and he comes in the locker room and he's going through his bag. He's like, damn, I forgot a jersey. Who was a jersey for me? Guy from across the room tosses him a pink jersey to put on. And the kid goes, I'm not wearing that. I want to look like a and here I am, like, I am so excited to go play some hockey. He said this. I'm like, oh, my God, what do I do? And like, I, I was thinking of like, I, I just wanted to go play hockey. So I'm like, all right, you know what? I'm just going to go play and think about this. I went, I played. He was on the other team. Oh, he did not. When I was out there, he barely got the puck. And when he got it, I was on him. He's like, what are you, why are you playing me so hard? Anyway, after the Nooners ends, He's already in the locker room. I asked him, I said, Zach, can you come out here? And he comes out. He goes, what's up? I'm like, hey, listen, you know, when you said 
before this, you know, drop-in started, you really offended me. And, you know, I would appreciate if you, you know, wouldn't use that language. And I actually had rainbow tape on my stick, the pride tape. And, he, and I'm like, you know what this is? He said, the NHL, the NHL guys are even using this. And he goes, yeah, I've seen it. And he goes, you know what, man, Glenn, like my high school team, they, I, we just say this. We're, it's that, just how we express ourselves. Like, I, I mean nothing by it. And I'm like, listen, Zach, I understand that, but you don't know how many people you've probably heard because you and your friends are saying like your best friend could be gay and you don't know. And he's not going to come out and he ain't going to feel comfortable coming out with you. And so he apologized. And not only that, I'm telling you, when was it? I think maybe the next week or the week after he had rainbow tape on his stick. I got the whole locker room. I think it, it must have been, it was hockeyist for everyone. And like 10 of the guys put rainbow tape on their stick and he was one of them. And to this day, he comes to, you can play events and he's a big supporter. So, you know, a lot of times you can convert someone who may have these, uh, you know, homophobic slurs in their vocabulary and they're, they don't know that they're, they're hurting you or the person next to them or their best friend or someone, and you can turn them into an ally. So again, be an active ally, however you can do that. Uh, It doesn't need to be right away. If you hear a slur, think about it, then go say something, say something right away, but uh, you know, be out there and and try to try to, you know, keep the, you can play mission going, right? If, If you can play, you can play. Well, thank you for sharing that. That was uh, insightful for sure to kind of get a glimpse of of uh, your life and and kind of what it's been like. So um, we appreciate you sharing that. And and that's all I had for uh, for questions for the interview. So I just want to say thank you again. Uh, we really appreciate you taking some time and and speaking with us. Um, and hopefully we can spread some awareness uh, about LGBTQ plus athletes and and making sure that they're included in sports moving forward. Thank you, Kevin. Appreciate the opportunity. A huge thank you again to Glenn Whitman from the You Can Play Project for taking the time to chat with us. I think there's a lot to learn from that interview, a lot to take from it, namely, you know, with his story at the end, just how powerful it can be to just stand up to someone, uh, put a stop to any kind of discrimination, you know, can be an uncomfortable place, an uncomfortable thing to do. But as you can hear from Glenn's story, it, it really can have a huge impact even on just one person. So to learn more about You Can Play and the amazing work that they do, you can head to youcanplayproject.org. Now, before we get to our interview with Wacy Rabbit, as always, it's time to check in on what's going on around our province. So here's what you need to know. Hockey Alberta and the Indigenous Sport Council of Alberta are proud to announce the first ever Indigenous Hockey Summit set for August 27th and 28th. This virtual summit will gather hockey leaders from around the province and continue the growth of the game in Indigenous hockey communities and allow for networking and sharing best practices as well. The Friday night keynote panel on August 27th, which features our upcoming guest, Wacy Rabbit, is open to all minor hockey associations, coaches, and officials across the province, while the Saturday Minor Hockey Association stream will focus more on the Indigenous Minor Hockey Associations, uh, where, with the opportunity for other minor associations to attend and participate, but the coaching and officiating clinics will only be available for members of Indigenous Minor Hockey Associations and other Indigenous hockey leaders as well. So registration for the summit will be open later in June or early July. You can head to HockeyAlberta.ca right now if you want to put your name on a list uh, to receive that information as it comes out. And registration is now open for the 2021 Future Leaders Development Program. This is a a fantastic program for post-secondary students who are looking to make the move from off the ice to behind the bench. Uh, Any Alberta residents currently enrolled or accepted in post-secondary for the fall of this year who are interested in coaching or teaching hockey should head to HockeyAlberta.ca and register for that before June 30th. And registration is now open for the NHL-NHLPA First Shift program for the 2021-22 season. Uh, The First Shift is a fantastic program for new-to-hockey families that allows children aged 6 to 10 the opportunity to try hockey at a low cost. Just $229 gets your child a full set of Bauer equipment, which includes a fitting night to make sure they get everything they need, and six on-ice sessions with full instruction as well. Uh, We've been a part of this now for 
uh, quite a few years. Uh, get to see uh, those Saturday sessions with the kids out there having a great time. Uh, so this is one I highly recommend if you do have a child or children, again, age 6 to 10, who are looking to get into hockey. Programs are being offered all over Alberta for this fall and winter. And Hockey Alberta will once again host a first shift program in Red Deer beginning in February. So you can head to HockeyAlberta.ca to find the program nearest you. And uh, lots of things to register for these days, which is a great sign, of course. Uh, we'll take it. Registration is now also open for the Team Alberta U16 male and U18 female summer selection camps fueled by Gatorade. Obviously a much different look for the Team Alberta process this year, but the program is moving forward with the Team Alberta U16 male summer selection camp running August 3rd to 8th in Red Deer and the U18 female camp set for August 10th to 15th. Uh, it's certainly an exciting step forward. Registration for both camps is limited, however, and closes on Friday, July 2nd. So if you are interested in that, uh, it's for 2006 born males for the U16 program and 2004 and 2005 born females for the U18 program. So head to hockeyalberta.ca for more information on that. And that's what you need to know. With us now is Wacy Rabbit, hailing from the Kainai First Nation. He grew up playing hockey here in Alberta, was a member of the Team Alberta squad that won gold at the 2003 Canada Winter Games and the 2007 Memorial Cup champion Vancouver Giants. Drafted in the fifth round by the Boston Bruins, his career's taken him to different countries around the globe, including Croatia, Norway, and Italy, just to name a few. Currently a member of the Jacksonville Icemen of the East Coast Hockey League as a player and assistant coach. So he's joining us via Zoom from Florida right now. Wacy, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. No, thank you for having me on. It's an honor. So to start off, as we always do, I, I gave a, a Coles notes in your bio, but can you talk a bit more about your journey through hockey, really starting with your roots here in Alberta? Yeah, um, I think it's no different from any other kid when they start playing hockey and you, you get into hockey at a grassroots level to to be one on a team and just kind of hang out with your friends. But uh, I grew up on my reserve, which is uh, the Kainai First Nations, just located in the, in the southern part of Alberta. Uh, we have the largest reserve in Canada. We had a lot of uh, our hockey program was really big when I was growing up. and I started skating at three years old. My mom actually uh, had to go to my grandparents' place because she didn't know how to put on my hockey equipment. So that was kind of my first uh, introduction. I didn't. <laughs> I was watching cartoons and eating uh, cereal while my grandparents were showing my mom how to put on the equipment. But uh, from there, you know, I, I just loved the game for the first time I stepped on the ice. And it's brought me on a journey. I'm 34 years old. I'm at the end of my career. And I mean, I wouldn't change it for the world. The people I've met, it's all thanks to hockey. And uh, I've played all throughout Alberta. You know, I, I moved off my reserve. I played in Fort McLeod, the Lethbridge uh, Athletic Association. Then we moved to Airdrie. And then my last uh, minor hockey, I was in uh, the Northeast Quadrant in uh, Calgary with the North Stars, major AAA. And then I was drafted by the Saskatoon Blades and was drafted by the Bruins after that, my first year. And then I uh, got to represent uh, the Western Hockey League when my rights got traded to the Vancouver Giants. So we won a Memorial Cup we were hosting. So that was kind of my uh, my amateur career and my professional career. You know, <laughs> I think, you know, you 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 named a few of the countries I've played in, but it's it's been quite a journey. And I, I would, like I said, I wouldn't trade it. It's, it's all life experience. And to actually uh, looking back now, you know, I never played in the NHL, but I think just the places I've been, the people I've got to meet, it was definitely worth uh, worth it in, in the beginning of my journey. Yeah. So your, your minor hockey career sounds like it has emulated your pro career, uh, which has taken you all over the map. And I know, you know, a lot of players when they get to that crossroads and decide, do I want to play overseas or, you know, or do I want to, you know, pursue other options within hockey or maybe just within life. Uh, what led to your decision to, to play overseas and what has that opportunity been like to play the game you love and really see the world at the same time? Yeah, so I, I my first three years in Providence with the Bruins organization, I spent my time in the American Hockey League and didn't get any call-ups. Then my rights got traded to Nashville. So I was in Milwaukee and I didn't have a great year, you know. So for me, I was kind of like, you're at that crossroads and I just wanted a new challenge. And at the time, you know, I wanted to use hockey as a vehicle for life experience. You know, when do I ever get to experience other cultures, want to travel and to see all these different places. So that was kind of my thing. And in, in Europe, you play less, less games, there's less travel. So it's less taxing on your body. And that was kind of something I was interested in. It was more of a skill game. Um, at the time in the American Hockey League, it was for a, it was more of a clutch and grab and for bigger guys. And I'm only 5'10", so I didn't really fit that mold. I mean, I, I played well in the American Hockey League, but I wasn't excelling. So it was, it was a different experience and a different challenge. And just to just to try something new that's that's what i was looking for and that obviously has to be a grind too constantly moving having to adapt and learn a new city or even country so obviously a uh 
and you can already you can already hear it in your voice just an unbelievable passion for the game what fuels that passion and, and keeps you going well like you it, it might be like my first time in europe was a big culture shock you know in any time in life you getting out of your comfort zone that's where you grow as a person you grow as a player and that was that was the first thing i learned is to you you don't you don't know everything you know sometimes you learn from different people and different experiences and that was the biggest thing was that you know across the world there's the hockey's a different and i wanted to experience that i wanted to see how the europeans played and to experience the the fans you know it's it's soccer mentality over there football mentality and it's crazy i mean i love the passion of the fans in europe because when we i remember we were losing one game five nothing and if you're back at home in north america everybody's already in the parking lot trying to get out and trying to beat the rush but they didn't stop beating their drums and the chance for the team and i was asking one of the fans why why didn't you leave he said you know you guys worked hard i mean it's not that you guys were meant to lose but we we still you're still our team and i really appreciated the passion and that's something that uh, that i always uh take with me and now that when i now at the end of my career i always share my stories with some of the younger players that you have to be a chameleon you know you have to adapt to your surroundings you know you're always going to be in a different dressing room or you're going to be in a comfort zone that you're not you're not familiar with and that you have to be comfortable with getting out of it and that's how you grow so that was the one of the things that i've taken with me and that's that's what fueled me to, to keep playing and just to, to keep trying new countries because you know at the end of my experience in each country i'm always i'm always uh, very grateful that i did that i did take that opportunity and it's funny you mentioned too the different cultures and, and and learning those cultures. But for you with and especially now with June being Indigenous History Month, with you coming from the Kainai First Nation, and we know you, you celebrate your your roots, not just in June, right, but twenty four seven. How important are are those roots to you, even as you travel the world and and learn these different cultures? Well, the, before I went to Saskatoon, you know, I was a little bit uh, insecure because as a lot of, a lot of times in my school, I was the only Indigenous kid or on my team. So the the first thing that I was taught by my grandparents and by my parents to be proud of who you are and where you come from. That was first and foremost. And when I, I took that throughout all my career, you know, if, if people brought up my, my heritage indigenous, I'd, I'd say proudly that I am yeah, a Blackfoot man. I'm from Treaty 7 and I'm, I'm rep- not only representing myself, but my family and, and my reserve. So they, that, I take I take great pride in that. But, you know, you go to Europe and they always have questions about, about First Nations people. And I, and I love telling our stories and I love, you know, our, our culture is so beautiful. And I, I just love sharing that through the world. And I'm I will never stop, and I'm, this is why we're doing this interview. And I have I have passion about our people, and I think that I mean it's we're, we're amazing, very resilient, and we have a lot of good hockey players. There's even more to come. You know, you look at uh, the gentleman in up in Edmonton, Nathan Bear and Michael Furland, and there's more and more more and more kids coming from the reserve and from an indigenous background that are going to be making a big impact in hockey. Yeah, and we're, and we're seeing those indigenous roots being celebrated more and more as the game of hockey evolves as well. Uh, in a game that that really honestly can be widely known and still is widely known as as white dominated. What does that mean to you to see the game evolve and be more diverse and really continue to celebrate those indigenous roots? Yeah, like when I first came up, there was a handful of us in the Western Hockey League that were Indigenous. You know, there's myself, Jordan Tutu, uh, my cousin, my late cousin Clay Bloom was with the Hurricanes. So it was now you look and you, you say, yeah, that we are, there are more people and more representation. But hockey is a really elitist sport, though. You know, it is expensive to play access to hockey arenas. And it, it is. And now, now you, you pay so much for a personal trainer and uh, like top notch skills. So like it, it's, you have to start being a professional at a young age now. And it's kind of crazy what you just picked up a stick and your skates and you go and play with your friends. And that's kind of what got me going now it's, it's it's such a it's such a hard game to get into and even to stay into so i want to make sure that the next generation knows they have a place in in hockey and in sports and you feel comfortable being yourself and going into a dressing room and it, it's universally you know you as long as you're a good a good player a good teammate and you treat everyone with respect then you should expect the same and like i think that's the at the end of the day that's all you can offer to to a team and to yourself you know and i know that the sport is is moving in the right direction but it's still an unfortunate truth that there's a, a lot of discrimination nation out there and inequality in the sport which we did see just a few weeks ago right with ethan bear uh, and so on social media after the edmonton oilers were eliminated from the playoffs so for you uh, growing up as an indigenous hockey player and and throughout your career really did you experience that adversity and, and discrimination and and how did you power through it to become a successful hockey player yeah, so I mean, it wasn't um, adversity. It was it was racism, and that racism I turned into adversity. You know, my parents, like I said, they instilled that I'd be proud of who I am, where I come from, and whoever was saying directed towards me because and it happened at a young age. You know, in Southern Alberta, I was told to go back to my reserve where I didn't belong. But for me, that 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 is out of my control. What that person is saying, that's a reflection on them. For me, like I said, I just tried to be a good teammate. I stood up for myself when I could. When I was ten years old, my parents stood up for me. But I mean, that 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 pride I had in myself really took me 
me because, you know, I, I could have quit right there. You know, I could have said, you know what, this hawk, this, this game isn't for me. But I, I knew that going forward that I'm paving the way for the next generation because when I was 16, 17 and being named captain, the Saskatoon Blades, that was one of the proudest moments of my of my career is because uh, for a young First Nations kid to see a captain in Saskatoon or in the Western Hockey League, you know, for me, I had Shane Peacock and I was five years old and I recognized that. So if I could do it for one kid, that just to give himself and to say, you know what, I, I belong there. And the, the racism part is, it is, and unfortunately, it's always going to be there. And hopefully it's less and less now with the with more generations, with more players coming in that are Indigenous, and obviously more with education and just understanding, you know, we're, we're, we're all in the same boat. It doesn't matter if you're Indigenous or if you're German or if you're an immigrant from a country, we're all just trying to play a sport and have fun. And, you know, in those stories of racism, it's always tough to hear. And I think a lot of people don't want to hear it. And we really appreciate you coming on and sharing those stories. And it moves into, too, like you said, you know, you're a huge role model for not just Indigenous athletes, but really any athlete of color or anyone who might come up against discrimination. And a bit of a self-serving note for us for Hockey Alberta, you've signed on to be one of the keynote speakers for Hockey Alberta's Indigenous Hockey Summit in August, uh, the first time we're doing that and really looking forward to that. So how important, you kind of already answered it, but how important is it for you to be an advocate for Indigenous hockey and not only a role model for up-and-coming players, but really to allow all of us, myself and included to learn more and grow as well uh, I, it's, it's very important it's probably the most important thing other than my family and for me you know a hawk has been my whole life you know and i want to make sure that the next generation knows they have a place in the game you know not even in, in when you you learn life skills playing hockey you don't get into play into hockey to be the next wayne gretzky Connor mcdave i mean you imagine that but you 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 play hockey to learn life skills you know to, to put put others ahead of you for the betterment of the team being punctual, you know, learning life skills like that. So when you learn life skills on the rank to respect each other, that goes into your everyday life. You know, when you go back to school, when you understand other people, they have, maybe they may have different thoughts or different feelings, but at the end of the day, you have to respect them. And at the end of the day, <laughs> I'll keep going back to it. You know, hockey's just there to have fun and everybody, it's a community to bring everybody together. And there should be no color on <laughs> for the, you know, to, to get respect or to, to be go far. It should be how, what you bring to your team. I think that's, for me, that's the most important is that as an Indigenous person that the young, the, the next generation feels like they have a place in this, in this world. And, and again, leads into my next question perfectly. And you touched on this a couple of times already. And the, the biggest thing is opportunity. And the main goal of the Indigenous Hockey Summit is to learn more, improve the game and provide more opportunities for growth and development for Indigenous hockey players. So in your opinion, what steps do you think can be taken, like starting right at the grassroots level to help do that? Well, like I said, it is an elitist sport. The, I know from my reserve, we're the biggest reserve in Canada. We only have one ice, sur ice surface, and I believe the building was built in the 60s, you know? So just the access to ice, proper coaching. Like ki kids just want to be kids. They want to have fun. And they want to, you know, for the 60 minutes that they're on the ice, they just want to be kids. You know, we're not trying to build the next <laughs> Connor McDavid or Sidney Crosby. We just want to make sure that these kids have a safe place to go to. They're able to play and to participate equally across the board and across the province. And from there, you you know, then you, ne you never know. Maybe the next uh, Connor McDavid is a First Nations person carrying the can Canadian flag over at the, the Olympics or lifting the Stanley Cup over his head. And he's the captain of a team. That's what I want for my for the next generation. You know, is is for the, any boy or female that wants to play hockey that they they have that dream and it starts at the grassroots that where they need to feel like they're comfortable to walk to any rink and they feel that it's a, they have an equal opportunity. And it, I guess maybe amazing is not the word, but to hear like you said, a lot of people don't realize that you know having one rink to play in for you and the size of of your reservation you know is is a big obstacle and i know i think in calgary i think in the sutina nation they just opened up or are opening up a, a pretty nice a big facility there and so hopefully we do continue to see those opportunities grow and again i know i'm looking forward to hearing more of that from you and our other keynote speakers too at the indigenous hockey summit so that's the last plug i'll i'll throw in for that but you know one last thing too you're doing that to, to help really groom the next generation of hockey players and really looking forward to to when i can do an interview that that has nothing to do with COVID-19, but obviously for you, you know, waiting to, to find out what's going on with hockey, hockey's on pause, but you actually started something and started developing hockey players as well. And a, a bit of a skills academy that you started up in the meantime. Yeah. So my, 
my fiance's uh she's from enoch and they have the the river that's twin rinks there and it kind of just fell into my lap last year um her niece actually played at a high level and we were just kind of skating there and there's a lot of westley kids and junior a kids and i think they recognized that where i played and they asked if i could uh you know run a practice because they know it was just COVID 19 that's all they had nothing was open so i think the kids wanted to do more than just shinny and i said hey you know that's what i do i specialize in edge work uh skill specific work especially for developing like the younger players i mean i worked with uh, adam redmond who worked with hockey canada with the women's national team as a skills coach down at a uh, ducket there at the edge of hockey academy and then mr paul vince is probably we call him mr v and he's the one of the top nhl skills coaches and has worked with him for years so i just kind of use my knowledge and then obviously what i've been taught just kind of put that into a program we started that again we had about 30 guys last year we have 30 30 players this year and we're starting that up in july in edmonton for me it's an opportunity you know like i said it's such an elitist sport you know i'm not asking for like the like twelve thousand dollars to come train my program you know my friend jeff lobecchio he's one of the top uh, high performance athletes coaches out of st louis and he trains all the blues so he's helping guys that are i mean the players that are coming with me through an app so i have a lot of kids from leduc you know the surrounding areas that can't it'll they I mean it's hard for them to come into a personal trainer so that i want to make sure that they have access to all the top training at least i mean it might not be in person but he'll he goes through all everything every step of the way and then i also have uh devin buffalo who he's going to bring a he, he runs winniska athletic sports and i believe he might be one of the presenters in august but his his story is amazing he's a student athlete student first he went to dartmouth was a hobie baker finalist he's going to be presenting to all our kids that are looking to go to that ncaa route because you know i didn't i never knew about the ncaa you know western hockey league was such a big thing but you know you see more kids going for that route and i want to make sure that they know every option available to them before they step on the ice and you're 14 or 15 years old you don't know what you want to do when you're 19 so i want to make sure that they have every route possible and then obviously for the kids that are going to the western hockey league i'm there to bounce off as a resource and then my friend uh, Corey pretz will be running the defense corps he played in europe and he played the cis and so i just want to make sure all those bases are covered and they have all the information and all the, uh, the on ice and the off ice so that they're prepared going into their season and just kind of you know preparing them for for everything that hockey has to throw at them because there's a lot more once they hit 15 16 for for a young man to make a decision or a young woman to make that decision it's a lot of pressure and i just want to make sure that the parents know all their options and uh so that they they feel comfortable with their decision that's pretty incredible again to hear you know and, and so encouraging that you know the the young athletes have someone like you to look up to and, and you know hopefully other athletes see that and and follow suit as well and it's funny you mentioned Devin Buffalo actually about an hour before we started this interview we just posted his uh his feature for Indigenous History Month as well and and another great story there so and yeah another great person to hear from in August so and before we move on from the C word again for COVID I always have to ask too for you you know trying to resume your pro career what are we now 15 months back if you rewind to March what was that like too for you trying to figure out you know and think about sitting around waiting and, and seeing what's going to happen with your pro career. Yeah, uh, well, you know, we uh, probably about a year ago, two months to the day, probably been April when everything canceled in our league. You know, you think COVID is going to be gone in two months and then we're, we're having the meetings with the PA and the league, the professionals, like the PHBA, the Players Association here and the league with the AHL and the East Coast. You know, they don't know when a start date is, then October comes. And November comes, then you know you're you're kind of getting antsy. But you know my program, uh, I was very fortunate enough to have ice still in, in Edmonton, and you know they provided me with ice that I stayed active. We had about ten guys that are in the Western League and pro that would skate with me to kind of keep us busy. But you no, know, for me it was it was just a chance to kind of take a reset. Thirty four years old, it was kind of let my body heal, but just mentally, you know, I wanted to make sure that like my family, they and physically they were safe. Such an unprecedented time. Nobody's been prepared. Nobody's gone through something like this. For my athletes, I made just made sure that they knew that, you know, what, what was the last time you had eight months off? It's usually because you're recovering from an injury. So use this opportunity to get better mentally, physically. And when you, when it's time to go, you're prepared. And I was, that's the same mentality I use. I'm 34 years old. We, I was named captain of the team here in Jacksonville, but also I got to an op- a unique opportunity to coach. So that was just something for me to prepare in this off season. And our, our COVID year here was, it was different. You know, we had, we got tested every day. We were in a bubble. We were in Florida, which is kind of crazy. You know, it's a culture shock when you first come down because they, they're not not they're like you'll walk into a store and no one's wearing a mask or you know it's you just respect you know what if I, i'll wear a mask i'll stay six feet just don't kind of stay away from me but the league did an awesome job making sure that we did provide we're very very grateful that we got to play in front of fans this year and now we're vaccinated hopefully things go back to normal
general, you know, sooner rather than later. But it, it was it was a different year, and I did get COVID in January, and that knocked me on my on my keister. And so it was it was something that you know what we we knew coming into the season that the chances are we were going to get it. So I knew it wasn't anything that was a surprise. So, but we got through it thanks to our medical staff here. They made it made sure everybody was safe, and all the families here were were taken care of. And, hey, man, it's such a it's such a crazy time. I hope everything goes back to normal soon. Everybody stays safe. Gets out this this pandemic with with some sanity. Yeah, you know, I was going to say too with with Florida and the United States, obviously a little bit further ahead in in returning back to normal than in Canada. But it's crazy to hear too. You never think you know when someone's going to say, "Yeah, I, I did get COVID." So it, it's still crazy to hear. So glad you did recover from that. I'm I'm sure that's something a lot of athletes did have to deal with. So now let's continue down memory lane, but in a, a much more positive note because we love bragging about our former team Alberta athletes. And like I said off the top, you were a part of that 2003 team Alberta team that won gold at the Canada Winter Games, uh, which is obviously a uh, pretty hard to do and something you know an athlete I guess what once every four years has a chance to do in their age group. So what was it like to not only be able to represent your province on the national stage, but of course to win gold with that team as well? Well, I mean, I can start at the very beginning. I remember our very first Alberta Cup. Alberta did such a good job preparing ourselves. I don't know if it's still called the Program of Excellence, but that's what it was there. So you had the U14, U16 camps. And I remember in cameras, we go there, top 40. But they prepared us for, you know, that to make this team, it's not going to be easy. And when I was finally named to the team, it was such a big honor. I remember as the first Indigenous um, person to make Team Alberta, you know, every four years it comes around. And I was, uh, again, I was very honored because I was actually asked to be Alberta flag bearer myself. And I believe her name was Sean. I forget her name, but she ended up winning going to the Olympics for, for skiing. So it was me and her wearing the Alberta flag going into the opening ceremonies. And just, just the whole experience was so cool. You know, I'll, I'll never get to go to the Olympics, but that was the closest thing with all the athletes. You know, we're we're 17 years old and you can see the anxiety of in sitting in the lunch, the lunchroom of all the other athletes because you know they're the next step for the Olympics. And just being around like high performance and high level athletes like that, you, you feed off of that emotion. And you know, I played summer hockey with pretty much the the players and obviously playing against them at the AAA level. It's finally, it is nice to, you know, to wear the same colors and to, to fight the same fight that with the, the guys that you battle with your entire life since you were probably three. You know, I remember Kyle Chipchura was the first overall pick and I was a Saskatoon Blade at the time. So PA and Saskatoon were big rivals, but we were also rivals with uh, our, when he was on Fort Saskatchewan, I was on the Airdrie Extreme. So, you know, you, those rivals go back a long way and you finally get to be on the same team and you look at each other across the room and say, you know what, we can win this for our, not only our province or for the minor hockey communities that we we fought for we played for and when uh when we won you know it was we, we we beat quebec and we were on tsn that was the coolest experience my parents got to come to bathurst i when we did win i wrapped the treaty seven flag around we were singing the national anthem i wrapped the treaty seven flags that's from from around myself you know i was representing alberta but i was also representing treaty seven and all the black community treaty seven you know my home community down in down in that's an amazing experience. I know when we had the, the, or when the Canada Winter Games were in Red Deer and we got to just witness it really as, as spectators, I know what a, what an experience that is. And like you said, for you to be the first Indigenous player to make Team Alberta and to represent that is, is pretty incredible. And it's not the only really elusive title trophy that you captured because just a few years later, you had a really solid career with the Saskatoon Blades. You were traded to the Vancouver Giants, uh, where you went on to not only win the WHL championship, but the 2000 2007 Memorial Cup, which I think it's a pretty elusive trophy in junior hockey. Obviously, you got to play against the best of the best in the country, and a player only has what probably a max of five years to to really take a shot at it. So, what was that experience like? Not only just to win, but for you, you went in, you were the new kid on the block. You had just a, a few short months to get to know your teammates, build those bonds. But I assume now you have a, a lifelong bond with those players, and probably felt like you were, you know, had spent your whole life with them when you won. Yeah, well, it was a whirlwind season for me because I started in Boston, obviously, in their training camp. Then I got sent down to Providence because I did sign my NHL contract. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so like I said, my world, it was a whirlwind season to start, you know, as my 20 year old year and I signed my contract in the summertime. So I was expecting to be a professional, at least in the AHL, if not the NHL or the ECHL. So there's the three options. And I got sent down to the American Hockey League and I wasn't playing much. You know, the guys that won the Stanley Cup, like Nate Thompson and David Krejci, were all playing ahead of me, which is rightfully so. They're all great players. So I wasn't playing much and the team, wanted me to send me down to the East Coast. My agent worked out a deal that they would send me back to junior where I would go either to one of the top contending teams so I'd have a good playoff run, which would be good for my development. Saskatoon's 
traded to be Vancouver, which they were hosting. So I was really excited and I didn't, I mean, I didn't know anybody off the team. Maybe Garrett Hunt, who was there for a couple of years, was also drafted to Saskatoon. So that's how I knew him. But other than that, I didn't know anybody. And I remember I got off the plane and their captain, Brett Fasterling, uh, picked me up and Spencer Mahachik were, uh, he's a Lethbridge boy, but I didn't really know him. He's a little bit younger than me. So they picked me up and we brought me in, got to know the guys. And my first meeting with Don Hay was, you know, what's, uh, what do you want to get out of here? And all I said was, I want to win. Then it was, it was kind of just smooth sailing from there. The guys were awesome. The intensity of their practices, you know, you, 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 you it rubs off because if you're not working hard, you're going to stick out like a sore thumb. And uh, the intensity to detail that Don had for his team, you know, we practiced a lot harder than we played because, you know, there'd be legit fights in practice. And guys are trying to like take the puck from each other and they like, no, you're not taking it from me. So that's that kind of rubbed off on into our games. I remember we were in Prince George and we had like a, almost a two hour pregame skate. And this is before game six. We didn't understand what's going on. And after the pregame skate's done, Don goes, well, if you don't want another one, make sure you wrap the series up tonight. And we end up winning in Prince George. But we, the, the guys on that team, you look at Milan Lucic, uh, obviously went on to win a Stanley Cup, uh, Evander Kane, Lance Boma, you know, the, the names go on and on who have gone on to have successful professional careers. And, you know, uh, one of my best friends on the team was a 16 year old was uh, Craig Cunningham. And he uh, will un- had unfortunate accident, but he's now he's doing well. He's that was I was one of my best friends on the team. I was a 20-year-old. He was a 16-year-old. I just wanted to make sure that he felt comfortable on the team. You know, I was a new guy. He was probably just trying to find himself in the league. And I wanted to make sure that he felt comfortable. And you know, you talk about those ties when you win. I still talk to like Garrett Hunt. I ended up being on his team again here in Jacksonville. And we we talk like we won, like like that that game was yesterday, you know, against Medicine Hat at the PE. And it just gives me chills thinking about the last five, last five seconds of the countdown when you know you're gonna win. And that's one of my favorite things of sports is watching the countdown with a minute left when you know the team's going to win when they do the celebration all the smiles on the faces just the hard work you know the the giants are such a great organization for me to for them to trade for me was a big honor and then to win was a was a huge honor for myself and obviously to win for the city and i, I go back there every once in a while and people still will remember that i played there and that was over 15 years ago or over 10 years ago sorry it's it was a great time in my life and that's those are memories i'm always gonna always gonna cherish and that we usually ask the question too if you if you have a favorite hockey memory obviously you have a, a couple to choose from or just a, a favorite part of the game something about hockey that just stands out for you uh, well like the on ice part you know the the winning and the goal scoring the big games but for me uh, one of the biggest honors was winning the the Doug the Doug Wickenheiser Memorial you know for humanitarian work that that was a big thing for me like I said in Saskatoon there's a high indigenous population in Saskatoon and when I arrived there I wanted to be a good role model. Jack Brodsky and the GM and the, the head coach Kevin Dickey and Brad McEwen made sure that you know although we are hockey players we're still we're still residents in this community and we're trying to grow the game we want to be positive role models and then for me it was it got it went beyond that because you know I went I wanted to go to schools I wanted to see the indigenous kids that they you know that they they felt like they could come to the games and cheer everybody on and there was a high indigenous population with the reserves around Saskatoon and the North Battleford area and up in that area I got to go visit that was just something that I wanted that I was passionate about and the Blades did a great job kind of making sure that I was able to reach those communities. To be awarded that was one of the the highest uh, accolades I'll ever have in my career. And, and I'm really glad you brought that up because a couple questions in, I was kicking myself for for not having that in, in your bio that you won the Doug Wickenheiser trophy because that's, that's a huge thing and a huge part of who you are and, you know, really exemplifies how much you give back to the game and continue to give back to the game. So on that note, because we'll, we'll wrap up and, and let you go here, but I always like ending the interviews the same way. Do you have any advice for all of the young, aspiring Indigenous athletes out there who may have to deal with and overcome the adversity and discrimination and racism uh, to achieve their dreams? Yeah, work hard, be good teammates, go to school and know that where you come from, be proud of who you are, where you come from, and know that you're not alone because you're 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 trudging the path for the the generation next behind you. So just be good teammates, and again, work hard, have fun. It's just a game. Uh, and we we will let you go, Wacy. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this uh, to share your story with us. You're such a huge advocate for the game and obviously for uh, Indigenous hockey as well. And, and what you do and continue to do is incredible. So we're really looking forward to hearing from you again at the Indigenous Hockey Summit and in August. And you know what? Good luck. I know you got that Florida storm coming. So uh, take care and, and thank you again. We we really do appreciate this a lot. Thank you for having me on. It's been an honor. 
A huge thank you again to Wacy Rabbit. Uh, you know, as I always do, I really enjoyed uh, and took a lot from that interview. Always fun hearing about those past experiences uh, from players growing up, playing in Alberta and then beyond, seeing where they go from there. But it's also incredibly important to hear some of those stories of adversity, discrimination and racism like Wacy talked about. The same is in Kevin's interview with Glenn Whitman as well. Uh, but it's inspiring to hear how proud Wacy is of his Indigenous roots how far he's come in the game and what he continues to do and puts in a huge effort to be a role model, a strong role model at that for all Indigenous athletes. And with that, another episode of Center Ice is in the books. One last thank you to our guests, Glenn Whitman and Wacy Rabbit, and to Kevin Strybosch. I think... I think we're starting to run out of people to make their center ice debut in our, in our communications department here. I would suggest producer Steve, but I can already feel just through the camera how hard he's shaking his head. No right now, but as always, thank you to producer Steve. I believe he asked to be called a living legend this time and his wish is granted. So thank you, Steve, again, the living legend for everything he does behind the scenes for this podcast. And thank you to you for tuning in once again. We'll be back one more time in July before we take a bit of a summer break from the podcast. So I look forward to that one. I'm Ted Emmett, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Center Ice Podcast. For this episode and more, head to HockeyAlberta.ca. If there's a topic you'd like covered on an upcoming episode, email info at HockeyAlberta.ca.